You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, hello and welcome to Attaboy Clarence. Once again, a pleasure to have you. Today we're all about the killed air. Yes, doctor, doctor. Can't you see I'm burning, burning? Not a question you should ever have to ask a doctor, I feel. I would hope that a medical man could spot naked flames on a patient. Killed air certainly could, and before you switch off because you're not into medical dramas, let me assure you that I'm not either. I can't stand them usually. They're so formulaic. But Dr. Killed air is every single kind of awesome, I promise you. You're going to love it. By the way, I recently appeared on one of my favorite podcasts, Rated H, the horror movie show with Smokey and Ben to talk about John Carpenter's The Thing, and it was very fun. If you're a fan of the movie and you'd like to hear me drinking too much beer and swearing while talking about a horror movie, yes, I finally gave in to all three podcaster stereotypes. Then rush off now and download the very fine Rated H Horror Podcast. Episode 23 is the one I'm on, but they're all extremely good, so I suggest you grab all of them while you're there. And thank you, Ben and Smokey. It was a great honor for both Suki and I to appear on your show. Yes, Suki came along too. Smokey and Ben and Ant and Tom from Anywhere But Here and Scott and Stephen from Real Britannia are all my fellow pod pals, you see. We all grew up with each other. It's quite the podcasting fraternity. Well, I'm a member of that large fraternity of the tired businessmen of America. Right. Well, I guess there must be a fraternity for everything then. It's not a club anybody can get in and... Although there are certain qualifications. Uh, Take mine. I've worked hard all my life, haven't had a vacation in five years. And my wife keeps telling me I don't know how to take it easy. And she's right, of course. Or at least she was. Uh, Things have been different the last few weeks. Yes, Terry started relaxing with a bit of crystal meth and curb crawling in the evenings. Lately, when I get home from the shop, I've been finding a bottle of Schlitz beer next to my favorite chair. That's the little woman's subtle way of getting me to slow down. Is that right, Terry? Does the little woman have a name, by the way? And by George, it works, too. I remember the first night she put out the Slitz beer for me. I came home after a pretty rugged day with everybody wanting their orders at once and four of my men home ill. McDonald's can be a difficult place to work. I was dead tired and... Uh, you don't know how good that bottle of Slitz looked to me right then. I sat down in the chair, kicked off my shoes and put on my slippers and then poured myself a tall glass with a good collar on it. You heard right. Terry has beer slippers. I took a man-sized swallow and then leaned back and let that fine Schlitz flavor roll around in my tongue. Well, if I hadn't known that Schlitz was the largest selling beer in America, I'd have known that it deserved to be. And by the way, if you want to see a picture of a man who knows how to ease up and enjoy himself... Just look at a picture of David Cameron holding a pig's head. Drop around my place before dinner some evening. I'll be sitting there with my bottle of Schlitz. There'll be one for you. 
And you can join me in saying, no wonder they call Schlitz the beer that made Milwaukee famous. Fifty dollars, says his wife's poisoning him. Do you hear that whistle down the line? I figure that's engine number 49. She's the only one that'll sound that way on the exit to Pika and the Santa Fe. That was the Andrews sisters with the Aitchison, Topeka, and the Santa Fe. I think that's right. No idea. Trains, I think. Sprightly little number, though. Well, are you following me on the old socials? If not, then you can find me on Twitter at at AttaboyC or at Movie Histories, or my personal one is at Audio Joe. On Facebook, you can find me at facebook.com slash attaboyclarence. I only ask because if you are following me on those places, then this week you'll have seen a brand new thing. Yes, the wonderful Ben Race from Capture Films has only gone and made a video trailer for this podcast. How cool is that? It looks so profesh. My goodness gracious me, so that's happening. Ben's making one for Shadows, too, and in case you didn't see, not only did I announce the name and subject of the next Secret History series over on Patreon, I also revealed the name of the final part of Shadows. Yes, after two years, Shadows is coming to an end. It's been an incredible series to work on, and I'm very emotional about it. But the story ends in the next episode, and so the next and final episode of the Shadows series is called Midnight is Come. It's a line from The Rake's Progress, which is what Luton's final RKO movie, Bedlam, was based upon in part. Oh, I will miss you, Val. 
And talking of Patreon, this weekend we're gathering online to watch the film you patrons voted for this month's film club choice. My name is Julia Ross, the 1945 film that I cannot stop recommending. Wise choice, folks. You're going to love it. If you're not yet a patron and you want to jump in and watch, then you have a couple of days to sign up and get in there. If you miss it, then there will be another film club night next month, of course. Well, if you're a patron, then you already know what today's show is all about. Yes, one of my all-time favorite movie series from the golden age of Hollywood and one that had a very interesting heritage. Its central character began life as a supporting player in a short story for Cosmopolitan magazine, which was almost instantly adapted for the screen by Paramount Pictures. The writer of the story, one Frederick Schiller Faust, wisely saw that this character could maybe have the legs to prop up his own series of adventures and turned him into one of the 20th century's most popular fictional doctors, writing under the name Max Brand. By now, Paramount had lost interest, so MGM stepped in and in 1938 began a series of movies based upon Brand's stories that were an incredible hit with audiences. I am, of course, referring to the Dr. Kildare series, featuring the idealistic young doctor and his adventures in and around Blair General Hospital in New York, beginning as a wet-behind-the-ears intern and progressing through the films to become one of the most respected doctors in the city, learning his craft beneath the wing of cranky medical genius Dr. Gillespie. Well, doctor, I'd better cut down the stuff, taper off maybe with wine and beer. Why taper off? Stick to whiskey if you like it best. Too late to change now. Too late? You mean I can't be cured? You'll live four months with whiskey and about six months without it. Why not be happy right up to the end? Now, you told me you had your warnings ten years ago and your chances, too. Now it's coronary and it's too late. No, please, this way out. The genius of this series cannot be overstated. It is, quite honestly, one of the best film series from this era. I rank it right up there with the Thin Man series. Bold statement, right? But absolutely true. It has so much going for it. Not least the cast, led by Lou Ayres as Dr. Kildare and the great Lionel Barrymore as Dr. Gillespie, who plays the character exactly like his Mr. Potter character from It's a Wonderful Life, but a good version. That kind of curmudgeonly, scheming, wheelchair-bound sourpuss with a heart of gold. Ah, here's our little mouse breather. What would you do about her? Adenoids and tonsils, sir. Operation? Yes, sir. General anesthetic? Yes, sir. <laughs> so you'd give her a general anesthetic, would you? You know what would happen? You'd get the adenoids and the tonsils out all right, and you'd have a dead child. Her chest is full of tuberculosis. The anesthetic would kill her, young Dr. Kildare. The other thing I love about this series is that it's not content to merely present a caper of the week. 
type structure to its films. I mean, you do get that to a point. Each film has its own medical drama at the center, whether that's an heiress who seems to be going mad or a child riddled with bullets. There's always a problem to solve, but the real thrills come from following the characters' stories on from the last film. And the sense of continuity you get really is remarkable. There's a thread that begins in the first film regarding Dr. Gillespie's health that is carried on and given great respect right through the series. Dr. Kildare's family back in Connecticut are not just podunk players who pop up to wish that Jimmy was still living at home. They come in and out of the stories really naturally, dispensing wisdom and even getting to interact with other supporting characters in a realistic way. Then you have the story of Kildare's love life, which begins very early on in the series and stretches right through to the later films in a way that I cannot divulge, but which will genuinely surprise you. Even tiny characters like Wayman the Ambulance Driver, played by Nat Pendleton, and Mike the Bartender from Across the Road, played by Frank Orth, each have their own stories that continue as the films go on. This remarkable attention to detail allows you to form a really special bond with everyone in the Dr. Kildare series. So when in film two you see Wayman pull out his wrench and go in to rough up a villain who won't confess, it goes from being slightly amusing to almost a jump-for-joy moment. Whenever Mike doles out his bar wisdom, you find yourself nodding along and grinning. Whenever Gillespie picks up his phone and starts scheming against Jimmy, you wonder what's going to happen this time, how his scheme will come to fruition. And I won't spoil whether or not they always do. Now, the obvious temptation here is to tell you about each film in turn, but I'm not going to do that. I want to give you a broader overview of the series itself and what you can expect from it, as well as the absolutely fabulous old-time radio series that began in 1949 and which reunited the main players and characters to give the series a new lease of life. But why did they wait until 1949 to make a radio series, you may ask? There's a very, very good reason they waited that long, and I'll come to that in a little while. Okay, so let's start at the beginning. Interns Can't Take Money, the first outing for Dr. Kildare and starkly different to the rest of the Kildare stories. This one is far less about Kildare and far more about a young woman recently released from jail who's on the hunt for her missing infant daughter. Gripping stuff and a cast to die for. Barbara Stanwyck and Joel McRae as Kildare, no less. If you want a thorough look at that movie, then I covered it in the most recent patron bonus episode. It's a phenomenal film, really gripping stuff, and centered around a quite brilliant performance from Barbara Stanwyck. I urge you to seek it out. But the real story begins the following year, 1938. Interns Can't Take Money hadn't been the scintillating hit at theaters that Paramount were hoping, and so when Max Brand offered more stories, they passed. Bad move, Paramount, because before they knew what was happening, the Kildare stories in print publications had taken off in a big way. MGM wisely snagged the elbow of Max Brand and offered him a rather unique deal. Not only did they want the rights to the stories for the screen, but they wanted him to come to Hollywood and develop a full-fledged movie series made up of adapted print adventures and newly written properties. This was a genius stroke because it allowed the originator of the stories to expand his stable of characters, personally overseeing their development and character arcs, and the result was absolute movie magic. Oh, by the way, 
How many rooms has that Andrews house? Eight. Eight, Jimmy. <laughs> Look, Jimmy, you know how happy I'd be if it, if it worked out that way, but there'd be no regrets. None. Well, maybe one little regret. That night we talked at the pool. I guess I sounded a little mixed up, didn't I? A little confused. No longer. Dr. Gillespie, the one I wrote about, settled all that. Of course, he's unreasonable and ruthless, but he's what I wish I could be. To treat people is one thing, but to study them and find out what's wrong with them seems to me infinitely greater. <laughs> Funny when you think of it. If somebody told me I'd want to be a diagnostician, I'd probably have laughed at them. Now it seems the most important thing in the world. Then why don't you stay and, and study under him? Fine chance. With all the men available, he'd pick me for an opportunity like that. Oh, go on, Alice. That Gillespie is a great guy. So in the first installment, Young Dr. Kildare, we watch the story of Kildare's arrival in New York, his first steps at the hospital, his meeting with Dr. Gillespie, who in this film seems more like a fearsome ogre than a wise friend and counselor. It's only at the end of the film that we come to learn that every victory Every wise move, every win that Kildare has had in the film has all been as the result of the almost Sherlock Holmes-level genius of Gillespie, silently pulling the strings behind the scenes to see exactly what this young whippersnapper is made of. Why, you little whippersnapper, you couldn't even got in to see Miss Chandler if I hadn't fixed it for you. So don't give me any more smart aleck answers. I can't have a bad-tempered assistant. What did you say? I said I have a bad enough temper of my own. If you're going to work for me, the first thing you'll have to learn is a little more self-control. If I'm going to work for you... Certainly you're going to work for me. Do you think I wasted my time checking and rechecking, building you up and tearing you down if I didn't have an axe to grind? Then all that time, even the first day, you were trying to help me. Well, say rather, I was trying to help myself. You see, you can take a thousand doctors and give all of them the same training and the same advantages. And only one will have that mysterious something inside him that enables him to become a real diagnostician. It's something that God puts there for his own purposes. You have it, Kildare. You always had it. I knew that the first day I saw you. But I also had to find out if you had the brains to use it and the courage to back it up. And by the end of film one, you have your pieces in place. Kildare is Gillespie's new assistant. He's taken the leap from country boy to city dweller. He's formed friendships with Joe Wayman and Mike Ryan. He's risked everything and come through in one piece. He's earned his father's blessing, and most importantly of all, he's won over the seemingly insurmountable Dr. Gillespie, which is what you've been hoping for the entire film. One of my favorite touches comes after the credits have rolled. MGM made a special effort to spread the word that this wasn't going to be a standalone story by having Lionel Barrymore and Luez literally step out from behind the curtain to address movie houses the world over. Well, I thought I'd better ride in in this chromium contraption here for fear you folks wouldn't recognize me as the uh, 
What was it that young intern called me? He said you were dynamite. Why, you young whippersnapper? Now, wait a minute, Lionel. I came to tell you that we're going to make more pictures about Dr. Kildare. And old Dr. Gillespie, I hope. And you're to make the announcements. Oh. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen of all ages, I've just been informed that you're to see further adventures of this hot-headed, impudent young squirt and this ruthless, bad-tempered old rascal. Who, you know, I don't know whether to kiss him or kill him. And so we enter the world of Kildare and his fascinating friends, and slowly we fall in love with each of them. My personal favourite of the second-tier support is Joe Wayman, played by Nat Pendleton. Now, for those of you who don't know the name, you will most certainly know the face. Nat Pendleton began life as an athlete, a wrestler, in fact, who competed with the US wrestling team at the Olympics in Antwerp in 1920, and who only lost one match during his time there the last one, meaning that he came home with a silver medal. When he got home, he was a celebrity and Hollywood came calling, of course. You'll more than likely know him from films like Horse Feathers with the Marx Brothers, as the strongman Sandow in The Great Siegfeld. He was in Blonde Crazy with James Cagney. He was a copper in The Thin Man, always the lunkhead cop or the thug with a heart. Well, here he plays ambulance driver Joe Wayman, and I guarantee... You will always be pleased to see him when he pulls onto the screen. Hiya, babe. <laughs> Who do I draw today? I can tell just what you had for breakfast and where you ate it. What? You had eggs with garlic and you ate them in a pool room. What are you talking about? Well, the eggs are on your uniform and the garlic, that's a cinch. And your manners, you couldn't have learned anyplace else but a pool room. <laughs> now, Miss Green, would you mind telling me, if it isn't too much trouble, just which one of the interns is going to be in charge of my ambulance this beautiful morning? Dr. James Kildare. Uh-oh. Gillespie's pal. Mm-hmm. Say, look, honey, I get off at 6 o'clock tonight. So how's about you and me going in for a little dinner and maybe some fancy hoofing? Well, it's an offer. Oh, come on. I may not be a spendthrift, but I certainly ain't the cheapest guy in the world, am I? I said, am I? Wait a minute, I'm thinking. Huh? In fact, he begins in the first film as a kind of antagonist. He's not a fan of Kildare or any of the interns. He sees them as somewhat annoying and very green. However, Kildare does Joe a huge favor, and this drops Joe's defenses. By the end of the film, he's best friends with Kildare, and thank goodness that he is. One of the funniest scenes in the film involves Kildare trying to figure out a medical mystery, but needing a confession from the big bad, who sneeringly refuses to give it. What will Kildare do? Without the confession, Kildare can't cure his patient, and if he can't cure his patient, then he'll lose his job in the process. Step forward, Joe Wayman, and his trusty wrench. What's wrong, Doc? You're in the right place, ain't you? It's a blue swan, all right. Yes, I saw the fellow I wanted, but it didn't do any good. He wouldn't tell the truth. He wouldn't, huh? How many guys are in there? Three. Any of them all right feet tall? Mm. That's all I want to know. Come on. <laughs> Boy, this is a great day for me. I had all the fun of driving on the wrong side of the road, and now for a good, clean fight. Let's go. And so when in the second film, Kildare is again faced with a villain who refuses to confess, you will find yourself screaming at the screen for your favorite ambulance driver and his wrench. And wouldn't you just know it, your prayers will be answered. It's your word against mine. You're in a mess already. Nobody'd believe you. 
Oh, there you are, Doc. <laughs> they said you wanted me. How did you get in here? Uh, any trouble, Doc? Plenty. This man killed Footsie Garson. Blamed it on Nick. He's crazy. Well, I'm Nick's best friend. I give up, Joe. Let's get out of here. Now, wait a minute, Doc. Are you sure of that? I know he killed him. I know he's guilty, but I can't prove it. Look, Doc, you're a decent law-abiding citizen, and what you don't see won't get you in any more trouble. Now, I'm going to put on a nice, quiet little search for the evidence. No. There's no use making things any the worse. I ain't going to do nothing illegal. If this guy's got something on his conscience, it's only human kindness to help him get it off his chest. Now, here, you go out in the hall and read this magazine. There's some swell stories in there, and just forget about the whole thing. Go ahead, relax. People in there fighting. They're terrible. Aren't you going to stop them? Mm -hmm. Just since I finished this article. Come on, Doc. He's in there just dying to tell you all about the murder. And I only had to tap him just once with the old lie detector. <laughs> it's the partnership of Kildare and Wayman is almost as wonderful as the partnership of Kildare and Gillespie. And instead of just chucking Wayman in every time someone needs roughing up, Brand wisely chooses to drop him into less violent but no less charming moments. I mean, Wayman who becomes a frequent visitor at the Kildare family homestead by the time we get to the sixth adventure. Well, Joe, what part of the chicken do you prefer? Oh, any part, Mrs. Kildare. My family was so large that I was 12 years old before I knew there was any part of the chicken but the gravy. <laughs> <laughs> But Joe Wayman isn't the only wonderful bit part player in the series. Just stroll on out through the hospital reception and cross the road, and you'll find yourself at Sullivan's Bar, an entirely Irish establishment that serves the finest corned beef and cabbage in the world to the hungry New York doctors, and all through the courtesy of the best damn bartender in the world, diminutive Irish sage Mike Ryan. Ryan's my name. Mike Ryan. R-Y-A-N. Ryan's Kildare. So, you have the good look to be Irish, too. Right. Fine. Not that it makes any difference. I'm broad-minded myself. I don't care what nationality a man is, as long as he's Irish. And the words of wisdom just get better and better as the movies continue. Sandwiches, what kind of food is that? In Ireland, we never ate any sandwiches. And the youngest man that died in our town was 108. And he was hit by a truck during a foot race. Ireland. <laughs> what kind of a country is that? Why, they don't even have one good industry there, Mike. They certainly do. They have two, farming and fighting. Do you mean to tell me they have good fighters in Ireland? Well, sir, if I'm not telling you the truth, may Sullivan lose every dollar he has invested in this establishment. But when a boy in County Clare is five years of age, his father takes him to kindergarten, and if he can't lick the teacher, he don't get in. <laughs> what about the teacher? Don't he know how to fight? What? Oh, that's easy. We have no Irish teachers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's wonderful enough that Mike pops up every 15 minutes to dole out the funniest and cleverest advice in the world to our poor, beleaguered hero. But by God, by the time the later films roll around, he's only gone and formed a double act with Joe Wayman. Hey, supposing they forget about inviting us to the wedding? Why don't we go back and ask him to invite us? Because it ain't etiquette, that's why. Maybe we could hint a little. That's a good idea. You go in and hit your pal. Okay, I'll start hitting. <coughs> Joe. Wait till they vent. After a dish of our corned beef and cabbage, they'll see love and kindness even in a face like yours.
And what of the romantic element? Because yes, alongside all the medical drama, the camaraderie and the intrigue of the Dr. Kildare series, you also have the romance. It begins in the first installment where Alice Raymond, played by Lynn Carver, the small-town girl who's been in love with Jimmy Kildare her entire life, has to face the fact that Jimmy's destiny lies in New York and not in their hometown of Dartford, Connecticut. In the second movie, Kildare is swept off his feet by none other than Lana Turner. Yes, Turner drops in from the heavens to steal Kildare's heart when he saves the life of her kid brother. But is she the right girl for Jimmy? Or is the keeper of his heart a little closer to home? It seems so, because by the end of the movie, we, along with Jimmy, have met and fallen in love with one of the greatest gals in New York. Nurse Mary Lamont, played by Lorraine Day. That was late afternoon, and I didn't hear from him till I saw him step out of the green coupe. Who was driving? A girl. What kind of a girl? Redhead, very pretty, nice figure. She wore a tight green dress, beaver fur bolero, carried a brown envelope bag, and wore three dollar stuff. No, that's what I mean, but what kind of a girl was she? A lady or what? I hardly noticed her. Yes, as you heard there, Nurse Lamont comes into the story as a spy for Dr. Gillespie. She's not only devastatingly attractive, but also blessed with the keenest mind out there. Certainly keen enough to match wits with the great Gillespie himself, but even she can't help but fall in love with Jimmy Kildare, and by the close of the movie, she's turned down the opportunity to advance her career by being Gillespie's spy in favor of a more humble life with the heroic Jimmy. Well, why didn't you tell me that in the first place? Oh, I know. You couldn't make up your mind whether you were on his side or my side or your own side. Well, we're both on his side now, aren't we? Well, I know, but this is serious. He's young and hot-headed and he's cock of the walk now, or he thinks he is. Nurse Mary Lamont is played by Lorraine Day, who you'll most probably recognize from her starring turns in Alfred Hitchcock's Foreign Correspondent or the Cary Grant comedy drama Mr. Lucky. Lorraine Day has that incredible, intangible quality that seems to have been lost to time, that uncanny power to instantly disarm with a simple smile and yet also to hypnotize you when she's in dramatic mode. It's alchemy, pure and simple. A combination of breathtaking beauty and bewitching charm. In short, she's the perfect match for Jimmy Kildare and the perfect foil for Lionel Barrymore's Gillespie, and you will fall for her too. As the films progress, she goes from being a simple love interest to one of the pillars upon which this amazing series is founded. But what about the folks back home? Any Capra fans in the house? I can definitely see at least a million of you. For fans of It's a Wonderful Life or You Can't Take It With You, you'll definitely know the face of Samuel Hines, one of the great perennial father figures of classic cinema. He played George Bailey's father in It's a Wonderful Life, the deliverer of perhaps the most succinct appraisal of George Bailey's character. Well, you were born older, George. Okay. I say you were born older. It's testament to Hines' screen authority and presence that when you watch a classic film with him in it, you tend to subconsciously believe that he must have been there from the beginning. He looks like he arrived in Hollywood when it was still in its silent Wild West days. In fact, his first film was only in 1932, If I Had a Million, by which time he was 57 years old. Wonderful actor, so natural. He plays Jimmy's father, Dr. Stephen Kildare. 
Opposite him as Jimmy's mother, the third great sage of the Kildare series, is Emma Dunn as Martha Kildare. Now, Emma Dunn was in Hollywood from the beginning. Her first movie was 1914's Mother, directed by Maurice Tonner, father of Jacques Tonner. By the time she wound up in the Kildare series in 1938, she was the veteran of dozens of stage roles and 57 film roles. I was remarking to someone the other day, actually, that her scenes with Lou Ayres are beyond naturalistic. I mean, when you watch them together, or indeed watch Emma Dunn in any scene, you really don't feel as though you're watching actors. I mean, the joins are invisible. You're completely swept away. This is a son and his mother. This is a wife and her husband. And it's testament to Emma Dunn's subtle yet heartfelt performance throughout the series that that's so. That's yesterday's crop, 43 of them including one little Cuban boy whose name will be, according to his father, George Washington Abraham Lincoln Franklin Roosevelt Gomez. (laughs) (laughs) Sort of a mass production, isn't it? You might call it that. (laughs) My, you seem to do things in a pretty big way in your hospital. Yes. Go on, son. Tell me what it is. What? There's something on your mind. That's why you sent Dad and Alice away. How did you know, Mother? Hmm. You forget... I've known you since you were as big as that littlest one. But Emma Dunn and Samuel Hines weren't the only Hollywood regulars popping up in the Kildare series. MGM certainly weren't shy about hiring some dazzling supporting players from the ranks of the Hollywood greats to pop in and play some parts. So you had Lana Turner. If you'd believed that he was guilty, would you have taken a chance on jail? Lionel Atwill. Dr. Gillespie, I've come here because I need your help. Red Skelton. You know, you're a new kind of a client to me. Most of them want more money than I can get them. Benita Granville. What's happened to my leg? Gene Lockhart. You know, you were going great guns in there tonight until you pulled out that list. Monty Woolley. Miss Chandler is in an extremely dangerous condition. Tom Conway. I still object. The presence of that bottle of whiskey in that car couldn't possibly indicate that Dr. Kildare ever took a drink in his life. Robert Young. From Mary's letters, I expected Dr. James Kildare to be a combination of Abraham Lincoln and Flash Gordon. (laughs) And many, many others. And the series regulars were just as wonderful as the hospital boss, Dr. Carew. You had the wonderful Walter Kingsford. Gentlemen, you are standing on the threshold of your medical careers. I brought you here because I wanted to extend to you my own greeting and also because I want to introduce to you one of the greatest intellects of the medical profession. I refer to Dr. Leonard Gillespie. As the wise mother hen to all the other nurses, head nurse Molly Bird, you had Alma Kruger. You know, Mary, at your wedding, I'm going to forget that I'm the superintendent of nurses and take one drink. And I'll need all the next day to get rid of my hangover. And as Gillespie's long-suffering assistant nurse, Nurse Nosy Parker, you had the wonderful Nell Cray. Joe, I'm worried. I've run out of alibis for you being here all the time. And if Dr. Gillespie catches you hanging around just once more, he'll... I got another alibi. Next time I'm going to tell him I'm hanging around on account of you and me are in love. But ain't Dr. Gillespie going to wonder how a good-looking fellow like me could fall for you? Well... And as I say, as each film progressed, these characters all became part of your family. Each gifted their own story arcs, their own set of values and foibles. It was an utterly spellbinding cast. But leading the pack, of course, were the two doctors at the top of each story. Luez was an established star at the time. 
In fact, when he began making the Kildare movies, he was in a very high-profile marriage to Ginger Rogers, even though they were living quite separate lives at the time. Ayers had been discovered in a nightclub by a talent agent and shipped off to Hollywood as many had been before him in the hopes of snatching a movie career out of thin air. His first roles weren't special enough to make that splash, but he was unexpectedly gifted the lead in Universal's 1930 war epic All Quiet on the Western Front. And before anyone knew it, he was one of the biggest stars in the world. He was relegated mainly to supporting roles in romantic comedies during the 30s, although he did inexplicably play the lead in The Doorway to Hell alongside James Cagney, a film that I've always considered Ayers to be horribly miscast in. Listen to me, you copper-hearted mug. I'm no thief. My racket is beer and you know it. I'm in a legitimate business, I am. Sure you are. Anyway, by the time he arrived at MGM in 1938, he was a very big star. And his taking the role of Kildare in their new series was a huge deal. The lead in one of the most popular film series of the day only served to propel him even higher, of course. But you know what? Despite having his name on the tin, the series did not really belong to Dr. Kildare, but to Dr. Gillespie. The cantankerous, scheming Dr. Sage, played with unparalleled brilliance by the peerless Lionel Barrymore. Now, wait a minute, Joe. Dr. Gillespie is the greatest diagnostician in the world today. Why, if anyone else couldn't walk, they'd, they'd fold up and quit. He's pushed his way right up to the top in a wheelchair. And why is he mad all the time, huh? Next time he yells at me, get out of my way, you fathead. I'll tell him where he gets off. Get out of my way, you fathead. Yes, Dr. Gillespie. Sure, Dr. Gillespie. I, I was just going, sir. I don't know whether all the rest of us are descended from monkeys, but I'll bet you two to one on Wayman. Yes, without Gillespie, this series would have been a very bland affair indeed. It was his antagonism, his wisdom, his occasional shots of warmth, and his razor wit that kept the series as spine-tinglingly entertaining as it is. And with each passing story, you fall deeper and deeper in love with him. It can't be overstated enough. Lionel Barrymore is simply perfection in this role. You know in Tom and Jerry cartoons when a little angel appears on one shoulder and a devil on the other? Well, imagine that happened to Lionel Barrymore and the devil went off to play Mr. Potter in It's a Wonderful Life and the angel went over to Blair General Hospital to play Dr. Gillespie in the Kildare films. In fact, Gillespie was so beloved by audiences that when in 1942 the Kildare series came to an abrupt end, Barrymore was given his own series of Gillespie movies along with the entire cast apart from Lou Ayres, and they're just as fun as the Kildares. But why, you may ask, why was Ayres not invited along? Why did they stop making Kildare movies? Well, 1942 was the peak of the war, and any able-bodied young man was honor-bound to enlist and fight for their country. But there were some who objected on the grounds of pacifism and who famously came to be known as conscientious objectors. And Luez was one of these. Almost overnight, Ayres was demonized for failing the war effort. And during production of the final Kildare movie, Dr. Kildare's Victory, he was fired by MGM. The Kildare series was axed immediately. But no one knew the whole truth of the situation. 
In actual fact, Ayres had requested to serve in the military as a non-combat medic. The policy at the time stated that servicemen could not choose where they would serve, and so he was forced to request a 4E status, which was a public way of saying you were a conscientious objector. In fact, Ayres did want to help, he just didn't want to fight. On May 18, 1942, he was enlisted as a first aid instructor in the US Army and did so splendidly. But Ayres wasn't satisfied with merely training new doctors. He wanted to be out there himself in the thick of the action. And so he requested a transfer to active service. But there were no posts available for someone of his rank and position. The field needed medics, of course, but not instructors or overseers. And so Lou Ayres did something quite rare. He requested a demotion to medic, which was granted. At medic level, he was quickly assigned to action in the Pacific and served with distinction as both medic and chaplain's assistant there. He was posted then to the invasion of Leyte, where he was instrumental in setting up evacuation hospitals, providing care to soldiers in the Philippines and New Guinea. For three and a half years, he served, earning himself three battle stars. And when he returned to America when the war was over, he donated the entirety of the wages he'd accrued to the American Red Cross. But despite this bravery and humility during World War II, he never managed to shake off the label of conscientious objector. Disseminating a message or correcting a misconception in the world of 1945 wasn't as easy as it is now, when it's merely a case of taking to Twitter and so his movie career never truly recovered, more's the pity. And the Kildare series, which had continued on without him, was not revived. On the screen, that is. The story of Dr. Kildare. Whatsoever house I enter, there will I go for the benefit of the sick. And whatsoever things I see or hear concerning the life of men, I will keep silence thereon, counting such things to be held as sacred trust. I will exercise my art solely for the in 1949, MGM finally reunited Luez with Lionel Barrymore for a new series on radio. The story of Dr. Kildare, which essentially picked up when the movies had left off back in 1942, and it was a glorious success. The story of Dr. Kildare. But first, your announcer. Yes, the radio series The Story of Dr. Kildare is a complete delight. Not only does it give you an extra few dozen Kildare adventures at Blair General Hospital, it also brings back some of the supporting characters. You have an even fussier, snobbier version of Dr. Carew, an ultra-shrew version of Nurse Nosy Parker, the return of head nurse Molly Bird, played on radio by Eleanor Audley, whose voice you'll instantly recognize as that of Maleficent in Disney's Sleeping Beauty. Okay, so you don't get Wayman, and you don't get Mike Ryan, and Kildare's parents aren't major characters. But by heavens, it's a wonderful last hurrah for Ayres and Barrymore. And it's my honor and pleasure to be able to present a couple of episodes for you today. The first one I have for you is called Anthrax Infection. Guess what that's about? This is kind of a classic Kildare setup. There's a virus outbreak. Kildare thinks it's anthrax. Others do not. But who's right? Who do you think? So off we go to Blair General Hospital for an adventure in the company of Dr. Kildare and Dr. Gillespie. 
Meet me back here afterwards and I'll tell you all about a fabulous competition I've got for you. Now, the story of Dr. Kildare, starring Lou Ayers as Dr. Kildare and Lionel Barrymore as Dr. Gillespie. Daddy can hold you. He's going to be all right now, Dr. Kildare. He'll be fine, Jed. If you put a little linoleum on the floor of your cabin when you get back to the Adirondacks. You mean he picked up some kind of germ playing on the wood floor? No, no. I mean he picked up a splinter sitting on the wood floor. Oh, that's all it was? That's all. Oh, young fellow who drove me down here is sure going to be sore. He's breaking up his hunting trip because of a splinter. Oh. You got bus fare to get the baby back home, Jed? I got enough if... If I don't have to pay you right off. Well, it was major surgery removing that splinter, you I know. I got a couple of hogs fattening back home. I'll pay you as soon as I get them to market. <laughs> Never mind, Jed. I'll take it out of your guide fee next season if Dr. Gillespie and I come up to do some hunting. Oh, that's sure <laughs> swell of you. I'd like to say hello to Dr. Gillespie while I'm here. Oh, good, good. You'll find him across the hall in his office. Meanwhile, I'll try to square things with the man who uh, drove you down. Where is he? Uh, he's sitting on the bench in the next room. Said he'd wait until he knew the baby was all right. His name's Breverton. John Breverton. Breverton? Yeah. Sounds familiar. Played football up at that Harvard College. No, no, I was thinking of the name in terms of medicine. Mm -hmm. Well, you run in and see Dr. Gillespie. Well, thank you again, Dr. Kildare. And don't worry, I'll send you your pay as soon as I sell my hog. Mr. Breverton? Hello, Doctor. Mm. I just wanted to tell you that Jed's baby's all right. Huh? That's fine. Mm-hmm. Kid cried all the way down. I... What's the matter? Aren't you feeling well? I guess I'm just tired. I feel kind of funny. Better get to a hotel. Hey, easy. Hmm. Afraid we'd better get you to bed right here and now. Look here, Dr. Gillespie. Infected area on the right hand. Mm. Oh, I'm sorry. It's ulcerated, too. Very tender and hurts him easily, and yet the infected area is unusually hard to the touch. Well, how about that thermometer reading, Parker? Or are you waiting for the patient to swallow it? Doctor, it's 105.2. Dr. Gillespie, this young man's been hunting up at Jed's place in the Adirondacks. And he's been drinking raw milk. But... I'll bet it's undulant fever. We'll have to keep a close check on his temperature. But, Doctor, this ulceration on his hand... Oh, it's a simple boil. has nothing to do with his fever. This... This fever, Doctor... Is it a pretty bad thing? Oh, I think we've caught it in plenty of time. But my father's a doctor. Oh? Out on the West Coast. Huh? Ralph Breverton. Oh, the neurosurgeon. Hmm. I thought the name was familiar. You've heard of him, Dr. Gillespie. Oh, I've read his papers. Oh, will you send a telegram for me? Ask him to fly out. You bet. I'll see it goes off right away. Oh, is Jed still in your office, Doctor? Yes, and we better have another look at that baby. Tell Jed to have his milk cows checked. I want to ask him about more than that. Jimmy, are you disagreeing with my diagnosis? Not exactly. Not yet, but I I don't think Mr. Breverton is suffering from undulant fever.
Well, Doc, he did act kind of funny driving down here. But we drove most of the night, and I thought he was just plain tired. He was all right yesterday, though, huh? Oh, he's in great shape. Felt fine because he bagged a bear yesterday afternoon. A big one. Got it with one shot, and we lugged it back to the cabin. He skinned it himself. Confounded, Jimmy. Let's get to the point. Did Breverton drink any milk at your place, Jed? Why, sure. Right from old bossy yourself. That's your answer, Jimmy. Might be. If Jed or the baby showed any symptoms of undulant fever. But they don't. Ah, they may have built up an immunity. It's possible, but there's something I want to see. Jed, do you have the hide and carcass of the bear Breverton shot? Sure. Steal up at the cabin. Then you're going to get a special ride home in a hospital car. The man that goes with you can bring the bear's carcass and hide back with him. Breverton hasn't been drinking bear's milk. He's been drinking cow's milk. Doctor, I'm afraid Breverton's trouble doesn't come from anything he drank. It comes from something he shot and skinned. Not the microscope. What you're looking for just isn't on that slide. Then will you tell me what's on your mind? Uh, I can't. Because it's too fantastic until I'm... Jimmy, sometimes uh-huh. you make... So, here you are. It's taken me long enough to find you. And I don't wonder that you've been avoiding me deliberately after what you've done. Uh, Dr. Carew, Never I... mind, Dr. Killer. All I want is an explanation although I'm sure you haven't got one, as to why a Blair hospital car has been sent to the Adirondack Mountains without my being consulted. I asked the driver of the car to bring back uh, the carcass of a dead bear, an animal shot by one of our patients. Dr. Kildare, you are using a Blair hospital car as a taxi cab for a dead bear. Oh, that isn't so bad, Carew. I wanted to use it for holding a live cow. I don't suppose either of you has given a thought to the embarrassing position you have placed me in. I tell you firmly that this must never happen again. Oh, it won't, Carew. We may not have another dead bear around for months. Dr. Gillespie, (laughs) I find your sense of humor most inappropriate. Most inappropriate. Remember, Dr. Kildare, I warned you, in the future, you will consult me. Dr. Gillespie speaking. Yep, yep, all right. Bring it up. There's your bear, Jimmy. You better go and get to work on it before Carew sends somebody up here with a straitjacket. Now, Dr. Gillespie, look at this animal. Yeah. Swelling in the subcutaneous connective tissues in the lymphatic glands, right? Uh, and if Breverton hadn't shot this bear, it would have died anyhow in a matter of hours. Died from what? The oldest and most deadly animal disease in the world. Anthrax. Anthrax? Anthrax. Yes. Why, Dad blasted Jimmy, there's never been a case of anthrax in this state in your lifetime or mine. There is now. Uh, Should have gone ahead before. I only hope there's enough time left to save Breverton's life. Well, I'd better go check the ward. You stay right where you are, Parker. I'm going to need you. What for? To make laboratory tests on this bear before this bear makes Kildare look like a jackass. You 
Sure, Doc. I never heard of anthrax hitting a human. And it's rare. My hand isn't even pain anymore. That's because gangrene is setting in. Immediate excision of the ulcerated area is necessary. You mean you want to operate? It's imperative. My father, you wired him? Yes. He's a surgeon. He should be here in a few hours. I'm going to be blunt, Brevenden. If we wait an hour, that hand might have to be amputated. If we wait three or four hours, you might die of septicemia. You know your business, Doc? I think I do. It mightn't sound like much of an ambition to you, but I've always planned on playing pro football someday. I guess it's up to you whether I do or not. Mm. I'll buy what you're selling, Doc. Thanks. Hello, this is Dr. Kildare. Please prepare a room for surgery. tell yet. Good thing he's an athlete, though. Rugged. Got him on antiserum and penicillin. If he doesn't respond... Uh... Floor nurse can watch him. You better go and get some sleep. <sighs> I suppose so. Uh, Parker tells me you ran lab tests on the bear while I was operating. Oh, Parker talks too much, old back fence. I don't bitch. have to hold anything back. You didn't find any sign of anthrax, did you? Well... You know how tricky it can be. There were some indications of malignant pustules and spores. But none you could classify as bacillus anthraxis, hmm? No, Jimmy, no, no. I'm, I'm afraid not. Must be Mr. Brevenden's father. I'll see him on the way. Oh, Dr. Brevenden, I'm Dr. Kildare. How do you do, Doctor? Your son is in room 311. I'll take you up there now. It won't be necessary for you to see him again. Hmm? The chief of staff, Dr. Carew, has given me permission to care for my boy personally. What's on your mind, Dr. Brevenden? I've been at the hospital for several hours, Dr. Kildare, since early this morning. During those hours, I have run laboratory tests on the animal my son shot. There is absolutely no trace of anthrax. Then the tests are not complete. They're complete enough. Especially since there's never been a case of anthrax within a thousand miles of here. You've made a very grave mistake. My diagnosis was and is anthrax. I'll stake my professional reputation on it. You have staked your professional reputation on it, Doctor. You did that when you performed surgery on that boy's hand without clinical proof. Good day, sir. Now, wait. Listen to me. Your son's life may depend on continuation of antiserum injections. For anthrax? <laughs> You're being absurd, Doctor. Now, please let me run another series of lab tests. I'll prove it to you. That won't be possible. I'm satisfied with my own tests. And Dr. Carew ordered that all test tissues be destroyed. <laughs> We return to the story of Dr. Kildare in just a moment.
continue with the story of Dr. Kildare, starring Lou Ayers as Dr. Kildare and Lionel Barrymore as Dr. Gillespie. Makes you so blue around the gills. Dr. Breviton was just in to see me. Young Breviton's father? Mm-hmm. Oh, good. So isn't it time for us to be going up for a look at our patient? Dr. Breviton has taken the case out of my hands. Yeah, he's made tests just as you did. Didn't find any signs of anthrax either. Uh, well, I'm sorry, Jimmy. And so am I. It's deceptive. You said so yourself. Well, if you're right, there'll be other cases turning up. Yes, but we're wasting valuable hours waiting for an animal epidemic instead of trying to stop one. I'm afraid we haven't heard the last of it. Dr. Kildare. Dr. Kildare. I'm afraid you're right. We haven't heard the last of it. Well, I might have known you'd be here. What have you to say for yourself? Uh, What can you possibly have to say for yourself? Yeah, Jimmy, and whatever you may possibly have to say for yourself, how can you possibly say it until he shuts up? We're disgraced. Utterly disgraced, Dr. Gillier. How can you sit there calmly when you know that I have been asked to take you, a Blair Hospital doctor, away from a case you have bungled? Oh, confounded, Carew. He hasn't bungled anything. He's done nothing to harm young Breviton. That is your opinion, Dr. Gillespie? I just know that Dr. Breverton is going to bring charges of malpractice. Malpractice? Ah, malpractice, my epidermis. Dr. Kildare, I want you to know that everything you have done has been done without my knowledge and consent. I'm quite prepared to take the blame for anything I may have done, Dr. Carew. Well, Carew, that's all you want, isn't it? You're whitewashed. Now, suppose you just run along and leave us to our work. Very well, Dr. Gillespie. But you'll hear from me again. I'm not going to have this sort of thing. You will most certainly hear from me again. Uh, Make it on the long-distance phone, will you? Dr. Gillespie, I'm not going to take this sitting down. If I'm right, there's a lot to be done. Jimmy, all you can do is wait. If you're right, there won't be just one case. There'll be an outbreak. You must be prepared for it. Guru may yell his head off, but I'm placing an order for large quantities of anthrax antiserum just in case. It's no use. You won't be able to get a single CC. You mean Carew's taken away my right to order supplies? No, I mean I've already placed an order for every available supply of the antiserum in this area. And for all that can be made. But you found no evidence of anthrax in your tests. Well... With the way Carew and Parker have been buzzing around, one of them may bite somebody. That would be enough to start an epidemic of anything. Now, clear out of here. I got work to do. (laughs) Thanks, Dr. Gillespie. Parker? Parker! Yes, Dr. Gillespie. Call the nearest gun shop and order me a gun. A gun? Why? What on earth do you want with a gun? Parker? For a long time, I've been planning to murder you. What? And today's the day. Oh! Now, get out of here and do as I told you. Then pack a laboratory kit and meet me down in my car. Where are you taking me? Parker, we are going hunting. Dr. Gillespie, I sure would like to be your guide, but uh, I can't right now. Why not, Jed? Uh, of course, I've been having trouble in the stock. Huh. 
I told Dr. Kildare I was fixing to pay him for taking care of the baby as soon as I sold my hogs, but dang if they didn't get took with something and start dying off on me. Dying from what, Jed? Nothing I ever seed before. Two of them was dead when I went to feed them last night. The old sow kicked off this morning, and some of the others ain't too chipper. Parker. Parker! I'm right here, doctor. Will you stop sneaking up behind me? Get busy. Get that kid out of the car and set it up in here. Yes, sir. Uh, is it something serious, Doc? It may be mighty serious. You better send your wife and children away for a few days until we get this thing stopped. Well, what do you think it is, Doc? I'll tell you after I see those pigs of yours. Get one of them in here. Parker? Take notes on this. Blackening of the mucous membranes. Hmm. Swelling of lymphatic glands. Mm, yes, sir. Temperature 104.8. Mm, 104.8. Well, uh, pulse and breathing unusually rapid. Unusually rapid. Yes. Uh, excessive enlargement of the spleen. All right, doctor. Now, now, let's see if those bugs are ready to come out in the open. Uh, put a smear on this slide. Ready, doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Is it anthrax, doctor? Now, what the devil did you think it was, Parker? Undulant fever? Well, you said yourself that it was... Oh, confound it, Parker. If you'd pay a little attention to your work, you wouldn't be hearing everything I said. I've got to get into the village and call the State Department of Health and get Kildare and the staff up here. Dr. Gillespie. Dr. Gillespie, how could you do a thing like this? A hospital full of patients, and you have half my staff up here in the mountain. Oh! Will you calm down until Dr. Kildare finishes studying those slides? Abstract. Fact. Uh, I demand to see those slides myself. Carew, you wouldn't know bacillus anthraxis from German measles, unless the measles were wearing helmets. Oh, it's there all right, Dr. Gillespie. We're going to need every man we can get. Every veterinarian in the state will be here in a matter of hours. Good. They can start on the livestock. We better get busy with the people. Right. Uh, <clears throat> well, if you're certain you're right, I'll help. Of course, after all, I am a doctor. Oh, Carew, I am glad to know that. Because I think you can save many human lives if you'll follow my plan. Well, thank you, Dr. Gillespie. Uh, what do you want me to do? Stay here until the veterinarians arrive and then help them with the animals. Gone, oh, kill Jed has mapped out the area for me. We'll work together and send other doctors out and crews as soon as they arrive. Dr. Gillespie, you should have been a general. You, you mean instead of a diagnostician? Oh, no, no, no. Oh, I meant both. I did. did. This is the last house on our schedule. Yeah, I'm just about exhausted. Uh, taxi cab coming up the road from the village. Mm-hmm. Stopping down by our car. Yeah. Oh, why, that's 
Dr. Briverton. I wonder what brings him up here. Hmm? Got a feeling it isn't anything good. Yeah, there's no time to look a gift horse in the mouth, Jimmy. We can use them. That's right. Gildare, I want to see you. Yes, Doctor. Well, hmm. you expected to get away with this grandstand play, Kildare. Perhaps this paper will change your mind. Take it. What is this? A restraining order I obtained, prohibiting you from mistreating other people the way you've mistreated my son. You're not going to camouflage your incompetence any further. Dr. Gillespie, please don't interfere. I have great respect for you and your reputation, but I will not permit this hoax to continue. Not until I bring Kildare before a state board of medical examiners. Dr. Breverton, there is an anthrax outbreak in this area. If you will go out behind the barn, you will find two men preparing a lime pit. In less than an hour, it'll be used for that goat standing over there. Uh, take a look at that goat, Dr. Breverton. It has just about enough time left in this world to eat that restraining order you brought. All right. Go ahead, look at it. Well, I, uh, I know very little about animals. What do you have to know? Internal temperature, 106 degrees. Gangrenous swelling. Trembling. No muscular control. And I have definitely found bacillus anthraxis. Dr. Breverton, we can use your help. Uh, for what? For what, uh, what do you suggest I do? All the people have been taken care of, but the veterinarians will need assistance for the animals in the field. I'm a doctor, not a veterinarian. I hope you are a doctor, because it's a doctor's job to help wherever he can. An infected animal can infect and kill a man or deprive him of his livelihood by destroying his other stock. Well, uh, I... Uh... Ah, Jimmy, come on. You're wasting your time. Let's go. No, no, no. No, wait a minute. I'll help you. I want to help. Go ahead. If, uh, if you'll give me uh, just uh, long enough to drive back to the village to make a phone call... Uh... Oh, don't let work interfere with an important thing like a phone call. I don't blame you for saying that, Doctor. But, uh, well, you see, all I want to do is to call Blair Hospital... And tell them to resume anti-serum treatment on my son. If, if anything happens to him, it'll be my fault. I'm sorry. I'd forgotten about your son. Perhaps you had better go back and stay with him. No, no, no. I'll just get to a phone and call. My place is out here with you. And uh, when we get back to the hospital, I'd be grateful to, if you'll take my son back as your patient. In just a moment, we'll return to the story of Dr. Kildare. Once again, the story of Dr. Kildare, starring Lou Ayers as Dr. Kildare and Lionel Barrymore as Dr. Gillespie. Well, Jimmy, there's still nothing new under the sun. Just an old thing that turned up in a new place. Hmm? Might have been a lot worse if you hadn't gotten that hunch about going up to Jed's place. Well, you gave me the reason for going mm. there. I thought young Breverton looked pretty good when we saw him. A little more rest and he'll be fine. He wouldn't have been if you'd hesitated and let that hand go for another hour. 
His fever was up to a point where... Dr. Gillespie, I just... Parker, thought... will you stop pussyfooting around and say what's on your mind? Well, how can I talk when you're interrupting me? It's about that gun. What gun? I don't know anything about any gun. The gun you told me to order before we went up to the mountains. The store called. They want to know who they should bill. Oh, oh, you tell him to bill Carew and bring the gun to him. Uh, what would Dr. Carew use a gun for? Well, tell him to clean it. Who knows? He might have an accident. <laughs> And that was the awesome anthrax infection from the story of Dr. Kildare, starring Luez as Dr. Kildare and Lionel Barrymore as Dr. Gillespie. So there are nine Kildare films starring Luez and Lionel Barrymore that ran from 1938 to 1942. Young Dr. Kildare, Calling Dr. Kildare, The Secret of Dr. Kildare, Dr. Kildare's Strange Case, Dr. Kildare Goes Home, Dr. Kildare's Crisis, The People vs. Dr. Kildare, Dr. Kildare's Wedding Day, and Dr. Kildare's Victory. Luez did actually play the part on screen one more time in 1960 for a pilot of a new Kildare TV show, but it never made it to air because he refused to have the series sponsored by a cigarette company. Well, I have all nine films in a very special DVD collection that includes that lost 1960 TV pilot. And I'm going to give it to one of you special people. Yes, put up your hand if you want to win the Dr. Kildare DVD collection. It's one of my most cherished possessions. But the time has come, I think, to hand it on to someone new who will cherish it and nurture it and fall in love with it the way that I did. And so if you would like to win this wonderful DVD set, all you have to do is follow the link in the show notes, which will whisk you to the competition page. Simply identify the mystery star from the blurred image you'll find there, and you'll be in the draw to win. Simple as that. The only clue I'm going to give you is that it's someone who starred in a Kildare movie. So choose wisely. Everything you need to enter is on that competition page. So when you finish listening to today's show, go on over and enter. The closing date is the 20th of July, 2019. So you have lots of time. In the meantime, why don't we drop on over to Blair General Hospital for another adventure with Kildare and Gillespie in a lighter mood this time. This is an episode played broadly for laughs, as many of the radio episodes were. This is called Engagement, which is pretty self-explanatory. Anyway, I love this thing. Give it a whirl and I'll see you here afterwards. And now, the story of Dr. Kildare, starring Lou Ayers as Dr. Kildare and Lionel Barrymore as Dr. Gillespie. Blair General Hospital, one of the great citadels of American medicine. A clump of gray-white buildings planted deep in the heart of New York the nerve center of medical progress, where great minds and skilled hands wage man's everlasting battle against death and disease. Blair General Hospital, where life begins, where life ends, where life goes on. Come in. Outrageous. Outrageous. Ridiculous. Hmm? 
I have too much to do to waste a lot of time with some ridiculous woman with a cold in her nose. What on earth are you mumbling about, Dr. Gillespie? I'm mumbling about Dr. Carew. That's what I'm mumbling about. <laughs> well, I, I grant you he's an old auntie about some things, but uh, you can hardly be called a woman with a cold in her nose. Well, who said he could? You did. Oh, you're crazy, Kildare. <laughs> you ought to know you've been a diagnostician for a good many more years than I have. Now, look here. I'm not in any mood for bantering. I'm busy, and that fool Carew's gone out of town, and he left a letter for me asking me to see this fool woman with the sniffles. Now, do you know she's a fool woman with the sniffles? Have you seen her yet? No, I haven't, but I can tell from the tone of Carew's letter... He says she's a new member of the Board of Trustees, and he wants me to be very nice to her. Dr. Leonard Gillespie, boy diplomat. Ah, go to blazes. I should have known better than to come to you for help. How can I help you in a case like this? Well, I thought you could see the old crow with me and kind of help me out. I'd I'd do it for you, Kildare. I have never refused a fellow man in need. What is it? Are you afraid of this, uh, this, uh, what's her name? Millicent Forbes, that's oh. her name. You're doggone right I'm afraid of her. I'm afraid of any woman that Carew wants me to be nice to. I had a hunch this was where you were. Okay, 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 you were right. Now that you found me, go away and forget that you did. My, my, what a bright, sunshiny face we have this morning. Yeah. Dr. Gillespie is not in one of his better moods. Uh. There's a lady in your office asking to see you. Oh, sprout. Well, send the lady down to my office, will you, Molly? She says she's a friend of Dr. Carew's and a member of the board of... All right, Molly, all right, all right. I'm not interested in her biography. Just send her down. Yes, Dr. Gillespie. Immediately, Dr. Gillespie. Goodbye. Whatever you say, Dr. Gillespie. I'm sure I don't know why you should be afraid of this woman. You should see some of the women Dr. Carew sent to see me. They came in on broomsticks. <laughs> I see. Well, we'll examine this one. Give her some cold capsules or something and a quick heave hole. Yeah. Nicely, of course, in the best Carew manner. Yeah. Come in. Well, hello. Oh, hello. Mrs. Forbes? Why, yes. Uh, that is, it's, it's Miss Forbes. Oh, well, I'm Dr. Kildare. This is Dr. Gillespie. Uh, how do you do, Dr. Gillespie? Well, I was told you were the most handsome doctor in New York, and I can certainly see why. <laughs> yes, Dr. Gillespie is definitely the Clark Gable of Blair General Hospital. Uh, yes, I can see that. Uh, 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 won't you sit down, Miss Forbes? Oh, I wish you'd call me Millicent. I've never heard Dr. Carew call you anything but Leonard, and I do hope you won't mind if I call you that. You see, I feel as though I know you already. Uh, Of course. (coughs) Millicent. (laughs) There, you see, we're friends already. Uh, Dr. Kildare, I I don't think we'll need you. Oh, Dr. Gillespie, you forget that I was called in as a consultant on this case. Well, I I think I can hand it along, all right. Dr. Carew insisted that Miss Forbes have every attention possible. Oh, isn't that charming? He's such a sweet man, sweet. Let's see, you're suffering from a cold, Miss Forbes? Yes, yes, it's just a nasty old case of the sniffles, really. But Dr. Carew said that since I was on the board of trustees and all that, I shouldn't take any chances. Well, I should think not. Well, if you'll just open your mouth and say, ah, Miss Forbes, I'd like to look at your throat. Well, of course. I'd be happy to. <laughs> uh... mm-hmm. A slight inflammation. Uh... Let me see. Uh... Mm-hmm. Uh... Uh... Yeah. 
Oh, you have such strong hands, Dr. Gillespie. <laughs> oh, Gesundheit. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I'll take your temperature, Miss Forbes. Just slip this under your tongue, please. That's right. Uh, you must not talk for three minutes. Uh, I understand. Now, don't you worry, Millicent. Don't you worry. We'll have you all fixed up in no time. We can't have a lovely woman like you ill for one single moment. Do you think we should hospitalize Miss Forbes, Dr. Gillespie? Well, we'll have to see what her temperature is. It's a long-distance call for you, Dr. Kildare. Oh, thanks, Molly. Hello. Oh, hello, Dr. Carew. Yes, I'll be glad to help you in any way I can. What is it? Miss Forbes. Hmm? Why, she's in my office right now. Dr. Gillespie called me in for a consultation himself. Yes, her condition seems to be very favorable. Yes, we are giving her every possible attention. Goodbye. That was Dr. Carew phoning from Albany, Miss Forbes. He wanted to be sure that we were doing everything possible for you. Uh, isn't that right? Yeah, yeah. I'll take out that thermometer. Oh, how sweet of Dr. Carew. Mm. Uh, your temperature is normal, Miss uh, uh, Millicent. Oh, thank you, Leonard. <laughs> oh, suffering microbes. Oh, my goodness. What's the matter with her? Oh, of course, of course, she's jealous. <laughs> my, you see the effect you have on women, Dr. Gillespie? Oh, I don't think that I... Now, now, don't be modest, Leonard. Yes, he is modest. Why, anyone can look at him and see that he's just a big, shy schoolboy at heart. Uh, don't you agree, Dr. Kildare? <laughs> Perhaps I don't have your insight, Miss Forbes. Now, I'll tell you how I'm going to prescribe for you, if it meets with Dr. Gillespie's approval, of course. Yes. Yeah. I'd like you to take one coracetin pill every three hours. Your cold is in the very early stages, and I think we can get rid of it for you before it gets too uncomfortable. Yes, you, you want to eat a light dinner tonight. Oh, um, why don't you come along and have dinner at my home, Dr. Gillespie? Or are you too busy? Well, now, let's see. I was on duty tonight, but Dr. Kildare could look after my cases. Well, I'll... Uh... Yeah, you, you will, Kildare. Yes, 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 to be sure. Well, uh, uh, Miss Forbes, uh, uh, Millicent... <laughs> I think that's a very nice suggestion. But I insist on taking you out to dinner. Oh, oh, how exciting. <laughs> well, I'll run along home and dress. Oh, um, now, what time will you pick me up? Oh, about seven. I'll be waiting. <laughs> uh, you have my address on my card. Well. Uh, goodbye. Oh, thank you, Dr. Kildare. You've been so charming. Don't mention it. Uh, I'll see you at seven, <laughs> Leonard. Well, we certainly gave her some cold capsules and a quick heave-ho, didn't we? Yeah, attractive woman, isn't she? Maybe I should go along with you. Oh, no, you don't. No, you don't. You're staying right here at Blair General. Yes, sir. It's a very attractive woman. Oh, oh! I just came down here to turn off your office light, Dr. Kildare. What are you doing up? Hmm? Oh, I just thought I'd sit up and keep a candle burning in the window. They had dinner at the club and team. How do you know? One of the ambulance drivers saw them going in. Hmm. Then they went dancing at the Waldorf roof. How do you know that? One of the trained nurses over there phoned me. She rode up in the elevator with them. I suppose he had lobster Newberg for dinner again. He did. Well, I'd better get out the bicarbonate of soda. Dr. Kildare, do you think she's so attractive? Mm, she's not nearly as attractive as you, Molly. Oh, you. 
Men never fall for women that act intelligent. And I never had time to learn to act dumb. I can get very tiresome. Yeah, but by the time a man finds it out, he's usually been married a few years. Now, don't you worry about Millicent Forbes. She hasn't got a brain in her head. Listen to me. The smarter they are, the dumber they act. Don't you kid yourself. I've been a woman long enough to know that. He'll probably marry her. Oh, I doubt if she's asked him yet. <laughs> I always knew somebody would get their hooks into him someday. Now, Molly, don't give up the ship. She'll probably make him very happy. She's probably just the sort of wife he should have. Look, they only went out to dinner. Just because they went out to dinner doesn't That's mean... the way these things start. Hmm? Two people go out to dinner, and the next thing you know, they're getting married. Now, Molly, you have too much common sense to think... I that. have plenty of common sense, but he hasn't any. No, no, it's all right. Let him marry her. I can take it. I've been expecting this for years. But he only met the woman today. I'm sure I hope they'll be very happy. <laughs> Uh-oh. I think I hear Casanova's footsteps. Now, mop your eyes, Molly. You don't want him to see you crying, do you? Crying? My goodness, who's crying? Well, what's everybody doing up? Nothing. And if you think we're waiting up for you, you're crazy. Absolutely. Why, I never thought for a moment that you two... And I'm were... sure I hope you and Miss Forbes will be very happy. Good night. What's the matter with her? Have a nice evening. Uh, very quiet. What did you do? Oh, we had a little dinner, quiet little dinner, you know, in a neighborhood restaurant. That was all. Mm-hmm. Where's the bicarbonate soda? Right there on my desk. Ah. How's Miss Forbes? Oh, fine, fine. I think I'll have her come into the hospital, though, for a few days tomorrow. What for? She's fine. Well, a little checkup never does any harm, you know. Crew wanted us to be nice to her. Well, I'll be doggone. Yeah? Well, what's the matter with you? Evidently, Molly was right. Molly was right about what? Look here. You don't want to be taken in by this woman. Taken in? What are you talking about? Well, now, a woman like this may seem dumb, but they're smarter than they seem. Seem dumb? Millicent is an extremely intelligent woman. That's my whole point. And for you to get involved... Kill there. Are you by any chance laboring under the impression that you are one or the other of my parents? No, no, but... Are you laboring under the impression that I can't take care of myself? Well, I didn't mean to imply exactly that. No, No but... man is going to lead me around by the hand, you know. I'm not afraid of a man leading you around by the hand as much as I'm afraid of a woman leading you around by the nose. What woman? You know what woman. Look here, I just went to dinner with Millicent Ford. Forbes, that's all. I know. But that's the way these things always start. Two people go to dinner and, and end up married. Ah, you're out of your mind. I'm not going to end up married to anyone. You talk like I'm a little child married. That's ridiculous. Look here, Kildare. You take care of your life and I'll take care of mine. All right, if that's the way you feel about it, all right. Good night, uh, Dr. Kildare. And good night, you, you wolf. That's the nicest thing you ever said to me. We return to the story of Dr. Kildare in just a moment.
continue with the story of Dr. Kildare, starring Lou Ayers as Dr. Kildare and Lionel Barrymore as Dr. Gillespie. Look what it says here in the columns, Dr. Kildare. Hmm? Hmm. Seen last night at the Waldorf, society leader Millicent Forbes and Dr. Leonard Gillespie of the staff of Player General. Does this mean wedding bells? Huh, and here's another. New romantic duo, Millicent Forbes and <laughs> Leonard... Well, it's not my affair. Take them down to Dr. Gillespie's office. He told me to mind my own business last night, and I'm minding it. Jimmy, 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 I need your help. Did you see the papers? It's... Oh, I, I see you, you've got them. Hey, I have a book here I've been meaning to send down to your office. Huh? It's called... Uh... What Every Young Bridegroom Should Know. Ah. Just off the press, quite good, as a matter of fact. Very informative. Ah, now, Jimmy, you know very well. Oh, the nurses are taking up a collection to buy you a wedding present. I don't want a wedding present. Well, I must say that's very ungrateful. I am not getting married. That isn't what the papers say. Now, Jimmy, I need help. You told me to take care of my life, and you take care of yours. Well, that was last night. That was last night. I didn't know I was in trouble last night. I can't forgive and forget so easily. I I was deeply wounded after all. Just because love has at last come to you, that doesn't give you any right to turn on your old friend. Ah, love has not come to me. It's getting a little late for denials, isn't it? Hello. Yes, he is. Send him right down here. There's a reporter on his way down from your office. Wants a picture of the bridegroom. Ah. Now, this has gone far enough. Why did you have him sent down here? You can't run away from things, you know. Uh, when you get involved with an heiress, you have to be prepared to face uh, her public. Jimmy Kildare, I'd like to chain you to an anthill. Well, I'm going back to work. I'm sure we all hope you'll be very happy, Dr. Uh, Gillespie. Molly. Come in. Uh, Dr. Gillespie? Uh, Dr. Gillespie is no more. He just passed on into the great beyond. What? <laughs> Don't let him kid you. This is Dr. Gillespie. Oh. I'm Dr. Kildare. How do you do? And how do you do, Dr. Gillespie? I'm from the New York Globe. I wanted to get a statement from you about your marriage. Oh, I'm not getting... Oh, well, my goodness, here you all are. My gracious, I've been hunting all over the hospital for you. Uh, good morning, Leonard, dear. <laughs> oh, Dr. Kildare, how nice to see you. Uh, hello, Millicent. Good morning, Miss Forbes. May I present Mr... Uh... Mr. Gordon Arkley of the Globe. Oh, how do you do, Mr. Arkley? I'm so happy to meet you. How do you do? I just came over to see if I could get a statement from Dr. Gillespie on your wedding plans, Miss Forbes. Wedding plans, dear me. <laughs> Dr. Gillespie and I are just good friends. Why, we haven't even discussed wedding plans. No. Yet. Oh. Uh, you seem to have stumbled on something rather prematurely, Mr. Arkley. The killer. My goodness, yes. Uh. <laughs> uh, well, I'm all checked into the hospital, Lenny. You are? Oh, are you entering the hospital, Miss Forbes? Oh, it's just for a routine checkup. I see. How's your cold? Why, it seems to be all gone. Lenny cured it. No. Well, I'll see you in a little while. Uh, may I walk down the hall with you, Miss Forbes? Why, yes, of course. Uh, you're a lucky man, Dr. Gillespie. Uh, <laughs> now, see here, Jimmy Kildare. Stop that laughing now. This is serious. I feel like I'm up to my chin in a barrel of molasses. Yes, tell me more, Lenny. Lenny? No, no, no. I, I'm not going to marry that woman. Oh, don't tell me. Tell her. Tell the newspapers. Tell Dr. Carew. Hey, did you ever hear of a breach of promise suit? How can I breach what I never promised? Are you sure you made no promise? Ah, oh, Jimmy, now, I am in trouble. Trouble. 
I need help. Not you. You're the man that can take care of himself. Ah, oh, no man can take care of himself, Jimmy. No man on earth when a woman's around. What am I going to do? I can think of just one way. But why should I bore you with the details? I'm sure you've figured a way out by now yourself. I'm sorry I said I could take care of myself. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry I told you to mind your own business. I'm sorry. I am sorry! What do you want? My arm or my head? My leg? Damn it! You can have anything you want. It's yours. Only get me out of this. All right. As long as you're sorry, I'll try, Lenny. No. I'll try. Why, Dr. Kildare. Yes. Miss Forbes, Dr. Gillespie has asked me to conduct your checkup. He feels that because of all the gossip and publicity that it might be less embarrassing for you if I took care of you. Oh? Why, that's very thoughtful of him. Yes, well, he's a very thoughtful man. As a matter of fact, I'm glad of the opportunity to have a little talk with you. I don't know how serious your romance with Dr. Gillespie is just now. Well, one never knows, does one? But I think a woman like you could bring a lot into his life. Uh, you do? Yes, I do. Mm. I think you have the understanding it takes to be the wife of a doctor. Understanding? Yes, I'm sure that night after night, while you sit alone, waiting for him to come home, you will understand. You'll be patient and, and silent in the face of loneliness. Well, I, I I try to be. And when he does come in, tired and cross, without the strength to speak even one civil word to you, I'm, I'm sure you'll understand and be even kinder to him. Well, I... Uh... And if, heaven forbid, in the heat of exasperation, and a doctor experiences many exasperations and frustrations during the course of a day, if, as I say, the result of these, he should even strike you, I, I know you're the kind of a woman who will understand even that and turn the other cheek. Uh, 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 did, did you say... Strike me, Dr. Kildare? Well, he has been known to be quite violent around the hospital, but he's always very sorry about it the next day. He needs understanding, you see, and compassion and devotion. Uh, yes, but I... And he'll be living at home with you, of course, so naturally you'll have to take care of him, see that he takes his pills in the morning. There are 11 of them. You mustn't let him skip even one. Uh, 11 pills? Yes, two for his liver, two for his heart, two for his blood pressure, and two are vitamins. Um, what are the other three... Well, I... I think he had better explain the other three to you. Then he must have a rub-down before you let him get out of bed. A rub-down? For his circulation. And also he has to wear red flannels and a nightcap until May 15th, unless the weather turns hot earlier. And in June, he can go without his vest. And yes, one other thing... Uh, Dr. Kildare, would you mind... I'd like very much to talk to Dr. Gillespie. You won't tell him what I told you? He becomes quite violent if he thinks people are discussing it. Oh, I'm sure that I'll be able to find protection from his violence if he should become violent in this great hospital. Oh, uh, but you may remain present if you care to, Dr. Kildare. Um, will you send for him, please? Well, yes, Miss Forbes, of course I will, if you insist. Oh, I'm afraid it is quite necessary. <laughs> Dr. Gillespie, 
I am a woman and you are a man. Now, we can be frank with one another. Oh, oh yes, yes, of course, Millicent. Well, there seems to have been some sort of misunderstanding afloat about us. Oh. <laughs> People seem to have the ridiculous idea that we're engaged. Yes, 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 yes. There does seem to be some such idea around. Uh, Dr. Kildare has told me all about you. Oh, he has, huh? Yes, I told him uh, that. Please, uh, Dr. Kildare... <clears throat> I could put up with the 11 pills, the rub-downs, and even the times when you would strike me. When I'd what? But you see, Dr. Gillespie, I, I oh, explained please, that... Dr. Kildare, but I am afraid I could never, never, never feel romantically about a man who wore red flannels and a nightcap. Why, I never... It's no use denying it, Dr. Gillespie. I have already told Millicent the truth. Oh, you have, have you? Oh, I I must be honest with you. This has all been a mistake. One evening's delightful illusion, gone with the coming of morning. But I do hope we'll always be friends, Dr. Gillespie. Yes, I hope we shall always be friends, too, Miss Forbes. You are a sweet, sweet man. Oh, dear, it's too bad. But c'est la vie, c'est la vie. And now, if you don't mind, I'm rather tired and I should like to rest. Yes, 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 to be sure. Yes, yes, of course. Come on, Jimmy. I'll be in to complete your checkup in the morning, Mr. Forbes. Did you have to destroy all my glamour to save me? All your glamour? Well, I'll be hanged. Ah, man doesn't like to lose all his glamour with a pretty woman, you know. Why, I'd like to tell her that I don't... Be careful, Doctor. You'll be right back in the fire again, and I haven't got a prescription to save your life a second time. I accept your decision, Dr. Hildare. Glamour be hanged. Liberty is the important thing. Liberty. In just a moment, we will return to the story of Dr. Kildare. And that was the wonderful Lionel Barrymore and Lou Ayres in Engagement from the story of Dr. Kildare. As I say, the story of Dr. Kildare is a really lovely, heartwarming, brilliantly played radio series that I urge you to check out if you haven't already. The entire back catalogue of episodes is available for free from archive.org. So I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to hear more. Download them all, stick them in your Google Play music account and you can listen on the go. They're great bedtime story material. Not kidding. Anyway, that is all for me from this episode thank you for joining me for this dive into the dr kildare series i know i may have rambled on slightly but i honestly urge you to seek them out and don't forget to enter the competition now because you might win them all that's all we have time for today though remember that if you'd like more attaboy clarence there are bonus shows coming out all the time over at Patreon. If you sign up to support the shows, you get all kinds of wondrous bonus material, including special previews of the new Secret History of Hollywood episode. (gasps) 
Yes, not only have I just announced the name of the final Shadows episode over there, but also the name and the artwork for the next Secret History series. It's all very exciting. You'll also get bonus Attaboy Clarence episode emails, movie commentaries, film club nights, my goodness, so much stuff. If you're into the idea, listen on to the end of this show or follow the link in the show notes. Only takes a sec. I'll even blow you a kiss and light a candle for you. And if I ever get a parrot, I'll teach it to say your name. Until next time then, my beautiful friends, take awfully good care of yourselves. And bye for now. If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by going to www.attaboyclarence.com and clicking on the Patreon banner. Pledges start from as little as $1 a month. And in return, you'll receive exclusive emails, bonus episodes, previews, and ebooks. And every dollar pledged goes towards making these shows better and more frequent. Go to www.attaboyclarence.com or click the link in the show notes now to become a patron. Thank you. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.